0: All right, I've had a kitten for a few weeks. This is a picture of her. Uh, her name is Zendaya. And um, that's an older picture. This is not my house. That's not my chair. <laughs> uh, this is a more recent picture. And she likes to play with anything that resembles a string, which includes um, all the chords to my computers and my headphones. So. And as all cats do, she likes food, right? And so whenever I'm walking towards the kitchen, she thinks it's lunchtime. And uh, she's there right underneath me, following me, um, trying to get me to step on her. And when I'm at the counter, when I'm at the counter trying to make something, um, she thinks I'm cooking her dinner, right? And she starts meowing a little bit. She starts meowing. And it gets a little bit louder, gets a little bit louder, more persistent as time goes on. Maybe I'm just doing the dishes or something. and, but that got me to thinking. You know, does Zendaya trust me? You know, on one hand, she trusts that I provide her food. She's not in the corner um, crying because she's going to starve to death. Like she knows where food comes from, right? So she trusts me. But on the other hand, she doesn't really trust me because she gets a little bit impatient. She gets a little bit, um, a little bit nervous, right? She it, she she doesn't really know me, right? She doesn't really know my character. She she's part of her thinks that I've forgotten her. Some of you can probably see where I'm going with this. But, But, um, you know, sometimes our prayers are a little bit like meowing, right? Sometimes, like, we know that God is good. We know that he protects. We know that he provides for us. And we trust in that. But sometimes we don't really trust in the character of God. Sometimes, Sometimes it's not so clear to us what God is going to do right? Sometimes it's not so clear to us that God actually loves us, that he's actually going to answer our prayer. That's what, a little bit of what I want to talk about today. Um, what does it look like to trust God irrespective of what he does? An unconditional trust. So there's a verse I've, probably, I've talked about a few times here announcing, um, a verse in Daniel that is probably one of my favorite verses. And Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are um, you know the target of another trap by the satraps to try to get them um, killed. I guess right, and they have the king set up this big this big statue, and they say everyone needs to bow down to it; otherwise, you will be thrown into the fiery furnace. And of course, Nebuchadnezzar is furious because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego don't bow down to the to the statue, and Yeah, that's my question. What does it look like to trust God irrespective of his actions? And Nebuchadnezzar's asking them, will you bow down? And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say this. They said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this manner. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. This is really cool to me, right? There's three things that they're saying here. They're saying that God is able to deliver us, that God will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we will continue serving him above serving the king. You know, what does that even mean? Like, if God will deliver you, but if not, why, why would they say something like that? And that's kind of why I think of this as a paradox. This is something that is not immediately obvious. Why is this, though? I think it's because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego trusted in the character of God. They knew God. They knew... They loved Him, right? And God loves us unconditionally. And they had a sort of unconditional love towards God. Um, They were going to love God. They were going to serve Him, follow Him, no matter what He did to them, no matter even if they died. And I think this is a trust in the character and the personality of God. This is a trust in God himself in addition to them just trusting in in um, God's deliverance. So th- those are the three points. God is able to deliver. God will deliver. But even if not, they resolve to serve him. You know, I think a lot of... Uh, Yeah, Daniel's three friends trusted in the character of God, above their trust in his deliverance. And I think a lot of people trust in the actions of God. They trust that God protects. They trust that God provides. Um, But it's a lot more difficult to have faith that God, in the character of God, because that requires you to know God. Um, And sometimes it's difficult to pray without worrying. Sometimes... Like I talked about the meowing. As, as you pray, as you pray, as you pray and the answer doesn't come, your prayers kind of turn into prayers of fear. Your prayers turn into prayers of, what if I don't pray enough? Your prayers turn into um, just, your, your mind is going to the worst possible outcome. And I would, like, I would like to propose that you try something. Try adding that phrase to the end of your prayers. God, please, I want X. But if not, I will continue trusting you. I will continue serving you. Because you know what the fact is? The fact is that God does what's best for his children. And, you know, if God doesn't do something, what does that mean? That means there's something better. Sometimes that's a lesson. You know, sometimes it's part of building character. Sometimes it's because you need to learn something. You know, sometimes it might be, it might be a consequence of something else you've done. But, but in any case, it's because God is doing what's best for you. A lot of times, God knows far better than you do what people, what, what you want. It's very hard to know what you want. Um, it's very hard. I think, I'm getting off my notes here, but I think Aristotle said something like, the greatest failing of man is that they don't know what they want. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. Some, some, some philosopher said that, right? And I think it's true. Like, we ask for things, and then we get it, and we're like, oh, okay. I, I, don't, I, I didn't realize what this entailed. And God knows, right? And it's hard to say that kind of a thing because it's uncertain. It's hard to say, it's hard to, it's hard to trust God even if he doesn't give you, give you what you want. Because it's uncertain and people like certainty. People like certainty. I remember um, Christmas a long time ago. You know, when I was 10 I don't remember. All through these years, we always had Christmas together. Uh, The family had Christmas on Christmas Day, and we'd have breakfast, and um, then we'd have a Bible story, the Nativity story, and then the kids would open their presents, and each kid would get one present, and then we'd open it, then get another present, and then we'd open it, and so on until everyone had opened their presents, and then we'd have the whole day to play with our presents, and figure and you know build our Lego set or Connect set or whatever it was, and then at the end of the day, my parents would open their presents, and This was usually after dinner, right? This was after dinner. We'd we'd kind of sit and watch them open their presents. And I used to wonder, how were they able to wait for so long? (laughs) (laughs) Because to me, right, as a kid, it's like it's all about what's inside the present. I couldn't stand not knowing what was inside the present. You know, and as you get older, I kind of get it now, right? It's more about... It's more about the thought behind it. It's more about who gave it. Um, it's not so much the gift inside of it because you know that it's going to be good. You know if you're getting a present you know from your wife, from someone, it's going to be good. It's going to be something that you like because they know you. And I think it's a similar thing with God. You know, as young Christians, um, we're, we're kind of concerned about the gift. We're concerned about this interaction between God and us. We're concerned about... What do I have to give to God? What does God, is God going to give me? And that's not, you know, that's not wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. But as you get older, as you become a more mature Christian, your focus is going to be less on what does God give you? And what, you know, what is this, uh, trans, what kind of a transactional thing is it? And it's more on just knowing God and trusting him. Because you know his character. I want to, um... I want to talk about a story. Uh, Abraham. Abraham is a cool person. And, um, and he's, a very, he's a very interesting character because he prays for a son, right? At 75, God gives him a promise of having a son. And he doesn't have a son. And 25 years later, when he's 100, he gets this son. And... I'm getting behind on my slides. There you go. A mature Christian is concerned less about what God will give and more about God. Um, Abraham has this son, right? And then God one night tells him to sacrifice your son. And you know the Bible says he got up. He got up early and took Isaac up to sacrifice him. And most of us probably know the story. He was about to sacrifice him, and, and God stopped him, and he provided a ram instead. And what was the reason for this? God wanted Abraham to show his faith. And Hebrews talks about this in Hebrews 1117 to 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. What is the author of Hebrews talking about here? Um, you know, it says, by faith, Abraham. but Abraham did something by faith. But what was that faith in? Was it faith in the promise of God? You know, part of it was faith in the promise of God. Abraham knew that he would get a son. He trusted in that. Um, But part of it was so much more than that. If Abraham had just trusted in the promise that he would have a son, there would have been a lot more hesitation. There would have been a lot lot more back and forth. Like, God, do you really want me to do this? Um, Is this really, like, how can your plan succeed if I kill my son? Because this is your promise to me. But I think the solution is that Abraham's faith was in a lot more than just this promise that he received. His faith was in God himself. And, and um, you know, there's another verse in Romans four twenty to 22 that talks about this. It says, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham was fully convinced. You know, to be convinced of something, convinced is a verb, right? It's something that happens. And Abraham was convinced because of something. It wasn't just him, like, being confident. It wasn't just him, like, believing more. He was convinced because of what he saw God do. Um, And as he was convinced, he gave glory to God. And as he gave glory to God, his faith grew strong. And I want to propose to you that you are convinced because of something. You are convinced, you have faith because of what you see God do. Um, no sermon is complete without a little bit of Greek, so I, <laughs> took, took, some, uh, I took a look at the word, that word. Uh, <laughs> this is the convinced, this is the convinced in Romans in, in Romans 4 21. This is the convinced. It means fully assured or fully persuaded. So other translations say fully assured or fully persuaded. So Abraham was convinced, he was assured, he was persuaded. Those are all verbs. They're because of something. Abraham, it was because of what God had shown him. That was the reason that he had faith. That was the reason he gave glory to God. And that was because Abraham knew the character of God, I think. You know, when you, know of some, when you think of someone who is convinced in the Bible, when you think of someone who's convinced, fully convinced, you think of Job, right? Yeah. Job, the whole story of Job, I think it's 50 chapters. It's him back and forth with his friends, back and forth with God. He's convinced. Why is he convinced? Because he knows God. I'm, I'm just going to go a little bit quickly through Some, um, yes, that's that verse. And I'm going to go through some Job uh, verses just to show us what what we're dealing with. So Job says, Even today my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy in spite of my groaning. If only I knew where to find him. If only I could go to his dwelling. I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would find out what he would answer me and consider what he would say to me. Would he vigorously oppose me? No, he would not press charges against me. There the upright can establish their innocence before him, and there I will be delivered forever from my judge. Job is confident before God because he knows God. He, It's not, God is not just some abstract concept. He doesn't just know of God because of what people have told him. He doesn't just know God because, um, you know, he knows God forgives. Like, that's, it's, it's so much more than that. It's deeper than that. He knows God, and He knows how God thinks of him. He knows how God thinks of him. That's such an incredible concept, to know how God thinks of you. You know? um, I'm going to talk about that a little bit later on. But Job knew how God thought of him. And I thought for a long time Job was confident because he was blameless, because he knew that he hadn't sinned. But that's not even the case. We see here in Job 7, 20 to 21, he says, If I sin." What do I do to you, you watcher of mankind? Why have you made me your mark? Why have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I shall lie in the earth. You will seek me, but I shall not be. Job knows the character of God. He knows that God takes away transgression and pardons iniquity. He knows that because he's interacted with God. And he's even kind of, it's kind of funny in the last verse. He's kind of, it's like a threat. To, it's, he's kind of threatening God. Um, I shall lie in the earth. You will see me. I'm going to die, God. You know, this David kind of does the same thing. I I don't have it here, but he says something like, um, um, you know, can the dust praise you? Can the dust give you glory, God? Like if I die, that's not good for you, God. Right? <laughs> This is a confidence with God that you can tell him things like this. This is a goal. This is something that's possible. And how does this happen? It happens through interacting with God, through seeking God. One final verse from Job. He says, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Yet I will argue my ways to his face. This is, this is in my mind, this is similar to that first, the first verse from Daniel, where Daniel says... Oh, For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, even if not, I trust trust in God. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. But though he slay me, I will hope in him. That's what Job is saying. And this is the same mentality. This is this mentality of my knowledge of God himself is even deeper than anything, any fact I know about God. This is the kind of trust that moves mountains. And... I'm kind of making a, a cycle here. Um, I want to show something, but the last piece in the puzzle is Matthew twenty-one, twenty-one to 22. And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to the mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. So when you have faith like that, you can move mountains. And faith moves mountains, and we have a full cycle. So I think this is something that's very interesting. This is um, a concept that I think about as steps you take with God. You take a step, and God takes a step. When you see God's character, when you know God's character, you give glory to God, like that Romans verse. Like Abraham gave glory to God, then he was convicted, he was assured and persuaded, and that gave him faith. And from that faith, you move mountains, and then you see more of God's character. When you see what God's do, what God does, it gives you. It, it, it just goes round, around and round. And this is, I think. You know, God wants us to ask for stuff. God wants us to ask for big things. He doesn't want us to live lives afraid to ask for things. I think. Sometimes we're like what if God doesn't want it? What if God says no? What if what if it's not his will? You know? But God wants you to ask for stuff because if he doesn't give you that, he's going to show you something better. And he's going to let you see him his character even if he doesn't give you it. He's going to let you see his character and it's going to give and you're going to give glory to God and you're going to have faith. You're going to have more faith for the next time. Um and this isn't easy. This is an entire life thing. This is an entire life change. You know, it's like getting married. If, if someone were to get married and just kind of treat it as something they do on the side, it doesn't work, right? Like, that is not how you think about getting married. When you get married, it's your entire life is different, right? You have to, you have to adapt. There will be things that don't change, but the mindset is that whatever needs to change, will change for you because I love you. And that's the same way it should be with God. And it's gonna be a continual thing. It's gonna be a continual commitment, a continual, a continual act of committing your life to God, a continual act of seeking Him. Um, And what is seeking God? I think a lot of times we think seeking God is you know, and we're right. I mean we think it's reading the Bible and praying more and and this kind of thing, that's that's good. That's good. But I think there's a lot of times that we don't that we don't. It becomes part, kind of like an exercise. It becomes kind of, kind of like just something we go through. You know, it's like exercising. Exercising, exercising is good, right? But if you exercise and don't see any results, maybe you're doing something wrong. And I think a lot of times we just read the Bible. Uh, just kind of to get it done, like we should do it. And and I would say that figure out how how you want to interact with God. Figure out how God wants to interact with you. God made each one of you. God made each one of you. the, The Bible says he made you even before time. He made you even before you had a body. And you know what that means. It's like he fell in love with you And then made you. He fell in love with you and then made someone to match that. That's an amazing concept because what that means is that the things that are in you, the things that you enjoy, your personality, your care the things that you like, those are part of the things that God has fallen in love with, right? And obviously you can't take that too far. But God loves the way that you the things that you enjoy. You know, say you enjoy painting. And, and the things you enjoy are reflections on God's character because we're made in his image. Say you enjoy painting. Um, you know, God painted the whole earth. He painted the sky. And connect with him over that. That's something incredibly deep you can connect it with him over. If you like mathematics, God, if you like programming, God programmed the universe, right? Um, and it's incredibly cool to look into how it was done and how everything fits together. Like, those, these, Everything, I think every single person has something they can connect with God over. And after some time, you will love reading the Bible. You will love praying. But if you don't right now, like, figure out how you can connect to God, you know? And pursue that. Keep pursuing that. Keep pursuing that. Because the Bible says if you seek God, you will find him. And we're going to have that verse later on. I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. But what the cost will be time, OK? This isn't going to be easy. Like, this is a whole life thing. You're going to, you cannot start this and think, I'm just going to do this on the side. This has to be the root value you have. This has to be the reason for everything you do. Um, it has to be a commitment, because I think Paul says, you can't be lukewarm. You can't just be one foot in, one foot out. Um, that is not helpful. That's not helpful to anyone. It's not helpful to God. It's not helpful to you. Um, so commit to it. And another thing I would say, another thing I would say is that your talking, your interactions with God, I think for a long time, I wanted God to speak to me. I wanted God to speak words to me. And I think that's good. But I think what's even better is to be able to feel God's heart, to be able to let God put a feeling inside of you. Um, you know, English is, is such a English is is this is this language that we have that's meant to convey feelings. It's meant to convey something. It's meant to convey information, but it doesn't convey feelings very well. You know, you can't tell someone how you feel. Um, that's the reason that we have the Psalms, like songs and poems, are better at conveying feelings than just speaking. Songs and poems are better at conveying feelings than just thinking, or than just speaking. That's why we have the Psalms. And, and um, if, if the world could know, if every person could know exactly how David felt, I think they'd be all about that in a second, right? Because they could feel it. And they'd be like, I want that. You know, if the world could know how God feels about each one of us, I think it would overwhelm us. We would all instantly fall in love with him because of how much he loves us. And the English that we have to convey these things is so inadequate to to communicate that. And so when you're listening to God, don't just listen for him to speak, but listen but listen for listen to feel, listen to feel what his heart is. Listen to feel how he thinks about you. This goes back to what I was saying earlier about know how god sees you. you know feel that and it'll change your life jeremiah 9:23 to 24 says let not the wise man boast in his wisdom let not the mighty man boast in his might let not the rich man boast in his riches but let, let him who boasts boast in this that he understands and knows me that i'm the lord who practices steadfast love justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. There's a lot of things that you can pursue in life. You can pursue riches. You can pursue um, might. You can pursue wisdom. That's a good thing. But it's not the best thing. The best thing is to understand and know the Lord. Because that will change your life. Why is this... All important. Um, a lot of times, I've kind of hinted at this before, but a lot of times we understand things about God because of what people have told us. Which is which is good, right? It's 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 good. And we trust in the things that God will do. We trust in these interactions that He's going to have with us. But you can't have a relationship with someone just based on your knowledge of how they will inter- interact with you. You can't trust someone based on just knowledge about them. Um, in a good relationship, you'll trust in the character of the person. You trust in their love for you. And it should be the same with God. The Bible says, seek the Lord and you'll find him. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Knowing God is the most valuable thing that you can do. And I would say I would say something don't live your life on autopilot. Don't live your life just taking the next step. Figure out what you want out of life. Figure out what you want out of life. And if that's to know God, then pursue him. Pursue him and figure out how much you want it, right? Figure out how much you want it. And then live a life that's in accordance with that. You know, pursue him above everything else. And it's, it's going to be hard, like I said. It's going to be an investment. You might have to seek him for an hour each day. Like, that's, Pastor Dan only tells me to seek for five minutes a day. Like, an hour is a lot more, right? But that might be what it takes to know God. Sometimes it's hard because, because he wants us to know how valuable it is. So, seek God. Seek to know what he feels about you. Seek to know how he sees you. And the Bible says, this verse says, that he will reveal himself to you. You know, you're not going to seek and not find anything. You'll find him. So, um, that's my encouragement to all of you. And I got to change my ending a little bit. <laughs> but uh, that's my encouragement, you know. Seek God, and like Daniel said, like like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. Just trust in God more than anything. You trust that He will do, and I think I think there's something incredibly powerful with that. There's something incredibly powerful with that. I think that's the kind of faith that moves mountains. It's not just trying to believe more. It's not just trying to, oh, God is going to do this. God is going to do this. I've tried that, and it doesn't really work. Um, Seek to know God, understand his character, have faith in him, and I think it will change your life. Thank you.
1: Great. A lot of food for thought, a lot of encouragement on with what we have in life. And one of the things Joel's really been talking about in this message is is trusting God, having a relationship with God. I mean, God is not just somebody up there and we know about Him. God wants us to know Him intimately, to have this relationship with Him where we talk to Him and he speaks to us, where we know His heart, and he, our heart becomes like His heart. And that all begins for each and every person by entering into that relationship with God for the very first time. And you do that by admitting that you've sinned, that, that you've done wrong things, things that are not part of God's plan for your life. Actually admitting you don't really know God. That's the first step to knowing God, admitting that you don't know God and that your sin has separated you from that relationship with God. And then we believe that that God made a way for us to have that relationship, to truly know him by sending Jesus to die on the cross, that our sins might be forgiven and asking him to forgive us. And then Jesus rising from the dead, he's alive today. You can't follow somebody who's dead, but Jesus is alive and we commit our lives to following Him. And so, I'd like to ask everyone to bow their heads right now. We're going to pray. and If you're not sure that you really know God, if you're not sure that you are in a relationship with God, I'd encourage you to pray along with me. Or perhaps you've, you've prayed a prayer in the past and somehow that relationship with God is damaged and you don't feel very close to God today. And you want to renew, you want to recommit your life to God. So we're going to pray a simple prayer. I'd encourage you to pray along with me. So that you can know the God who created you. So that you can have a relationship with him each and every day of your life here on this earth. That's going to continue for eternity. So pray along with me something like this. Father today. I admit that I don't really know you. I know some things about you, but I don't know you. And I admit that I've sinned, I've done wrong things, things I knew were wrong, and it's put a distance between me and you. But I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I don't fully understand it, but he died that my sins might be forgiven. He paid the the price for my sins, the penalty for my sins. And I ask you to forgive me today. Take away my guilt. Take away that barrier between me and you. Come into my life. Change me. I believe Jesus is alive today. He rose from the dead. And I commit myself to following him as my Lord and Savior. I commit myself to to getting to know him better and better. Thank you for what you're doing in my life. For the rest of us who are believers today, God, we thank you for the things that you've showed us today, how that you want us to put our trust in you, no matter what's going on, no matter what happens in our lives. And even if you lead us, as you lead some people to give up their lives for you, it's okay. Because we're going to spend eternity with you. Thank you that a relationship with you is the most important thing in life. And God, today we commit our lives to building that relationship in a a new way, in in a fresh way. To making that our highest priority in life. To knowing you. And seeking your kingdom first, ahead of everything else. God, we ask for your help, for for all the things that pull at us, that take us away from getting to know you, the things that distract us, the things that put a distance between us and you. God, we want to know you. We want to worship you continually. We want to be in constant communication with you. We want to know your heart. We want to carry out your plans and purposes that you have for us. And we thank you that that's possible, that that's your will for our lives. And we look forward to the things that you have for us in life, the plans, the good plans, that you have the best possible plans, that best possible way we could live out our lives is your plan for our lives. We pray, God, that each and every person here would Walk in that plan that you have for them. Would find joy in that unique plan created just for them. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.